Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Pastor Donnie has been in this vein of, we're just kind of instilling the DNA of the vision of our church, the reach up, reach forward, and reach out. Um, And uh, Pastor Donnie has been in this vein of reaching up, and I want to continue on that today, and I want to talk about something that's so dear to me, something that I've been doing um, for most of my life. It actually struck me this morning that it's been 20 years since I started leading worship. I was 14 years old. I turned 34 tomorrow, actually, and so it just struck me this morning. Yeah, it's my birthday. Hey, um, <laughs> so I'll take... Any form of payment, or I have Venmo and Cash App. No, I'm kidding. Unless you're not, but whatever. Um, no, I, it struck me this morning, it's been, it was the summer that I turned 14 that the Lord encountered my heart with the, this true and deep meaning of what worship is and what it looks like. And I remember, um, I, I remember it was that summer that I grew up in a Lutheran church. Some of you know my, my, my history, my backstory. I grew up in a Lutheran church. My dad is a Lutheran pastor to this day. He's still in that church right now that um, I uh, got introduced to the realm of worship. And I remember that summer, I was introduced to the Holy Spirit. In fact, our whole church was introduced to the Holy Spirit. Um, it was something that was so new to us. There was, you know, a little bit of controversy because things got shaken up. How many of you know that when the Holy Spirit shows up, he likes to shake things up a little bit? You know, and I, I grew up um, in worship. Uh, the worship expression on Sunday mornings was we would um, pray the prayers that were written down for us in our bulletin. We would sing out of the hymnal. My dad would go, congregation, please rise. Sing stanzas one, three, five, and seven of great is thy faithfulness. We would do so. And then he'd go, congregation, may be seated. That was worship growing up. And it was, frankly, I hope my dad's not listening to this, but I was bored out of my mind growing up in worship in the church. And I remember when I turned 14, my dad um, invited this group. Um, it, was, it was a group called Lutheran Renewal. And they came in and they started introducing spontaneous, spirit-filled worship to our congregation. And it was so um, different and it was so um, re- refreshing, yes, but it was also offensive to a lot of the people in our church who had never experienced anything like that before. And I so love my dad's leadership in that whole process because as he was witnessing those who were actually hungry for the presence of God, he validated them and actually invited the ones who were offended to change their mindsets, to embrace a new wineskin and to let go of the old one. And a lot of, there were some people who left the church. A lot of people thought we were inviting the devil's music into the church. One person actually said, what's next, a drum set? (laughs) Ben, you would not have been liked in that church. (laughs) <laughs> no, but, and we did, we introduced drums like two weeks later. So, um, no, but it was just, it was such a different expression of worship. And I remember I got filled with the Holy Spirit that summer and this group, before they left, one of the, the worship leaders handed me this CD and it was the first worship album that I ever owned. It was called Better Is One Day by Matt Redman. You guys heard it? Who doesn't know Better Is One Day by Matt Redman? 
So he's just like, hey, I would love for you to just like take a listen to this. I know you're a music guy. Because I grew up, you know, I was always singing. I was always playing an instrument of some sort. Not always well, but I would just do it. Drive my sisters crazy. Um, but he goes, hey, just take a listen to this. Let me know what you think. And so I remember I took that CD home. I, I put it in my stereo system in my room as soon as I got home. And all of a sudden, I just began to cry out of nowhere. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> what's, what's happening to me? Like, I had no idea what was going on. But I just, I, I began to weep as I, as I heard these worship songs that I'd never heard before. And I was like, this is so weird, but it feels so good. And I began to become addicted to this feeling of being in the presence of God. What was happening was the presence of God was coming into my room and touching my heart. And it was something that I had never felt in that capacity before, and I became addicted to it. And I remember I would go to school um, during the school year, and I was just, I couldn't think of anything else. I, my grades may have slipped a little bit. I couldn't think of anything else other than just getting home and sitting in my room and crying. That sounds weird for like a 15-year-old kid to, to do that. But like, honestly, that's what, that was the craving of my soul to actually sit down in my room, play this CD over and over and over again, and just sit there and weep before the Lord. And um, I remember I kind of got tricked into worship leading because I didn't understand truly what it was because I'd never seen it done in you know this type of context before. I, my dad just kind of asked me to start playing piano on Sunday mornings because the pianist that we had before retired and so I uh, <laughs> and so I, I started playing the hymns on Sunday morning and eventually I asked my dad I said hey can we start doing maybe some of these other songs and so I did great uh, I did like I sandwiched better as one day between it is well with my soul and great is thy faithfulness and like tricked my congregation into worship leading or into worshiping in that more contemporary way and so it was just something that I didn't even realize I was doing but looking back I was like oh man like I started worshiping when I was 14 years old, but it just felt good. And I remember um, our youth group just got on fire because we were all experiencing this presence of God that we had never felt before. And pretty soon it overflowed from our youth group into the high school and some of the high school students, you know, we would just have random, hey, do you want to get over at the church and just worship for a little bit? And sometimes we would be there till one, two o'clock in the morning, you know, we'd have the Friday night football game and instead of people going out to the bonfires and drinking beer, we'd end up, you know, a lot of the kids would come to the church and be like, hey, can you lead us in worship for a little bit? And so this ended up happening where the, the school, my, the, my schoolmates began to just crave that presence of God at the same time. And we had a mini revival in my high school. And it was, it was just, uh, it was just, it was a marking time in my life and something that I'll never forget. Um, I just, I became addicted to the feeling of being in his presence. Can you guys testify to that? There's nothing better. We felt it this morning. There's nothing better than that. I remember, uh, so a few years go by, I end up, um, I graduated high school, I moved to Kansas City, became part of the International House of Prayer. How many of you guys are familiar with IHOP? If you're not, get acquainted with it, go there, it's amazing. They're celebrating 20 years of night and day worship this year. In September 19th, it'll be exactly 20 years, night and day, nonstop, 24-7 worship. It's amazing. So I spent 10 years of my life at IHOP. I remember going there. You know, I was already somewhat immersed in this worship culture. Um, but, you know, I got to IHOP, and it was completely beyond anything that I had ever seen or felt before. 
And um, long story short, I go through an internship there. I receive, you know, these crazy encounters. I'll, you know, I shared one a few months ago, um, but I had a season, about a month-long season, where I had three crazy encounters um, where the Lord um, showed me amazing things. And um, it, was, it was just an amazing time. But a couple years into my time at IHOP, something new happened to me. And I remember I would go up to lead my sets. We would, as a worship leader in the house of prayer, I had to lead six two-hour sets every week. And so I remember, you know, you know, I just kind of romanticized it. You know, I got up on my sets, and it was just it felt good every time, and I loved being there, and it was awesome. And then there was this one day where I remember I got up, and I started playing, and for the first time ever, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. I felt oppressed. I felt like I was out of key. I was fumbling on the keyboard. I couldn't play right. Um, I just, I felt so unanointed. I felt really bored. <laughs> I just, I didn't feel God in the way that I had grown accustomed to. And so I, I chalked it up to a bad set. Maybe I was just having a, an off day. And I was, you know, so the next day, I go to my set. I get out there, start leading the worship song. I feel nothing. Two weeks later, I feel nothing. A month later, I felt nothing. Six months later, I felt nothing. And I got so offended with God. I said, God, what's going on here? What? You abandoned me. <laughs> you, where are you? And I just remember I felt so abandoned and lost because all of a sudden this feeling that I had grown accustomed to, this feeling that I had based my relationship on was gone. I no longer had the feeling I had the memory of the feeling, but I, don't, I didn't have the feeling. And the Lord spoke to me after six months of nothing. I didn't hear him. I didn't feel him. I didn't, you know, you know, have any sort of encounter or anything like that with him. But he spoke to me after six months, and he said, would you still worship me if you don't feel me ever again? Would you still worship me if you didn't feel me? And I realized I had, I had based the expression of my worship on a feeling rather than the truth of who he is. The worth of Jesus is not ever dependent on your feelings. <laughs> How many of you know the human heart is a fickle thing? <laughs> we have good days and bad days. That doesn't mean God is good or bad based on your good or bad days. God is good all the time. We're going back. <laughs> he's good all the time. All, yes, and all the time, God is good. What's the motivation for our worship? Do we worship because it feels good? And that's okay. Like, I think one of the byproducts of getting together as a body of Christ is we want to feel the presence of God. That's okay. Like, we want to be in his presence. We want to expect that. But just because we don't feel him doesn't mean he's not here. Or do we worship because of the truth that he actually just deserves your worship, whether you feel it or not? I just began to think this week of what is real worship? What is the definition of right worship before God? And, and I, I came up with this. The, the dictionary definition, is called, it says it's the feeling or the expression of reverence and adoration towards a deity. 
Um, my definition that I kind of came up on my own, um, it's the only appropriate response to the truth of the revelation of God in your heart. It's the only appropriate response to the truth of the revelation of God when it hits your heart. As I read through the Bible, as I read through the stories of encounters and what worship looks like in the Bible, I noticed that um, when heavenly worship is expressed, it's given from a place of knowing, from a place of experience, from a place of knowing the truth of who he is, from a place of experiencing and beholding who God is and what he looks like. Uh, Revelation uh, 1, uh, when John is on the island of Patmos, Jesus shows up, you know, and, you know, this is John the Beloved, the disciple who Jesus loved 60 years before when Jesus was doing his ministry on the earth. 60 years later, Jesus shows up to John. Um, he's got eyes of fire. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got white hair as white as wool. He's got a golden sash. He's got feet like burnished bronze. And his, his face is like the sun shining in its strength. And John said, when I saw him, I fell down as though I were dead. That was his response of worship. He saw him and he fell. Revelation 4, verse 8. It's the song of the seraphim. We sang it this morning. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They don't sing it just because they have to sing it. They sing it because they're, they, they have this experiential truth because they're gazing at him night and day. It says he's like a jasper and a sardius stone. There's an emerald rainbow around the throne. There's a sea of glass mingled with fire. There's lightnings and thunderings and voices. And they're coming to, they're gazing on who he is. And this is the right response of their heart to the truth of the revelation of who he is hitting them. Holy, holy, holy. It's because they see him. They have an experiential knowledge. Isaiah chapter 6, he, see, he goes, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was about a thousand years before John, and he saw the same seraphim singing the same song. You know, I don't think they've stopped. <laughs> They're singing the same song. And Isaiah's response was, woe is me, I'm unclean, but I'm seeing something perfect and holy. I don't deserve to see this. His response, his worshipful response was, I'm not worthy of this, Jesus. He didn't know his name was Jesus at that point, but he goes, I'm not worthy of this, I'm unclean and you're holy. Ezekiel chapter 1, if you guys want to get tripped out, read Ezekiel chapter 1, it is crazy. It's one of my favorite um, written encounters in the whole word of God. Ezekiel sees this whirlwind of fire engulfing itself, coming down out of heaven. There's, a, there's a four cherubim holding up a sapphire sea, and they're in the... I mean, I can't even fully explain it to you, but they're in a wheel, and there's a wheel within a wheel, and wherever the spirit goes, the wheel goes, and on top of this firmament that... The, you know, just read it and study it. It's crazy. Um... <laughs> But on top of this, on top of the wheels, there's a, a sapphire firmament. And on the firmament, it says there was one sitting on a throne who looked like the Son of Man. And uh, Ezekiel said, I saw visions of God. And when I saw it, his response, I fell on my face. I believe that we have access to a realm of seeing and a realm of experience that most of the church, the modern day church, has not tapped into yet. 
I believe the Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 invitation still stands. He says, come up here and I will show you things. Come up here and I will show you things. I will show you things. I will open your eyes. We need to posture our hearts. We need to begin to posture our hearts in that Ephesians 1.17, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. A lot of times, you know, I don't want to limit this experiential knowledge to a third heavens encounter because not all of us are going to have the, the whirlwind of fire coming down. Not all of us are going to have the throne room encounter with the seraphim, the 24 elders. Not all of us are going to have the train of his robe fills the temple. But all of us have access to a realm of encounter whether it be through that, I think that's available. Or if it's just sitting in your bedroom, reading the word of God and crying. Amen. I don't want to limit what an encounter is to a third heaven's experience. We have access by the blood of Jesus to come before the throne of grace and gaze on him right now through the eyes of faith. Soon we'll behold him in real life, in person. But we have access right now by the blood of Jesus to come before the throne of grace with confidence and boldness to experience him and to know him. The whole point of our existence, I feel like, is summed up in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. You know, how many of you guys have Bible passages that you just can't get out of and you kind of see the rest of the Bible through the lens of that passage? You guys have that? Revelation 4 is my jam. <laughs> I can't get out of Revelation 4 um, because it's just all, it's all about worship and wor it's just worship is like the core of who I am. But I think Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 sums up the reason for our whole existence. It's the song of the 24 elders. It says it's in response to the cry of the, 20, of the four living creatures. It says, whenever the living creatures sing their song, they give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. The 24 elders then fall down before him. They cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because this was your idea. <laughs> You created this from a blank canvas. It's by your will and for your pleasure that I exist and was created. Your highest, most supreme calling in your life is simply to bring pleasure to the heart of your creator. You exist for his pleasure. You exist by his will. You don't exist because he needed you to do something. You don't exist because he needed you to be his servants. You exist because you, when you lift up your weak voice to the Lord on a Sunday morning in a context like this, when you lift up your voice, you actually move the heart of your creator and bring pleasure to him. You're created for him. Because he wanted you. Not because he needed you. He wanted you. He desired you. I think our problem in the church is that we've twisted this message and we, we have this mentality that if we just worship him with the right songs and the right amount of time, we'll get to a place of receiving this stuff for us. <laughs> I'm guilty of this. I come in with the expectation that I'm going to receive. I come in with the expectation on a Sunday morning that church is for me. Worship is for me because it feels good and I need to rejuvenate and I need to recharge for the next week. And, you know, I come in and I've got these needs. So I, I, it's easy to come in with this mentality of what's in it for me, God? Okay, I'll give you 30 minutes of worship on the front end, but then you got to come. 
right? Does it, do any of us feel that way? We've twisted the point of our existence. The point of our existence is not so we can get. The point of our existence is to give him pleasure. Um, how many of you guys have younger kids right now? I have two seven-year-old boys, twins, Isaac and Caden. You've probably seen their little blonde moppy hair running around here. But they, uh, they're in this phase right now where they're, they're just, they're fighting a lot. <laughs> and to be frank, it's driving me insane. And I'm going to give you a crash course in how not to parent right now. Um, we've, kind of <laughs> we've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, it gets to a point where we, we can say stop it so many times and then it hit me the art of the bribe, okay? The art of the bribe, it's amazing. It works so good. Right now, the boys are, <laughs> they're obsessed with this thing called Beyblades. Have you guys, have you guys ever seen that? Nick's like, yeah, man, me too. <laughs> uh, Beyblades, it's like basically a glorified like spinning top where they like launch it and then it fights each other and then they fall apart. But there's like 80 of them and they want every single one of them. And right now they only have like four. And so it hit me, the art of the bribe. I was like, okay, just stop. And if you can behave for the next hour, I will take you to Target and we will get you whatever Beyblade you want. And you just start saying, really? Really, Daddy? Anything I want? And I'll tell you what, the next hour was heavenly. It was awesome. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I've done this on more than one occasion. <laughs> the problem is with that is I'm training my kids... to learn a behavior that will result in a reward rather than just to behave and respect me because I'm their father. I think the church has been uh, conformed into this Western culture image of worship that if we come in with the right formula and we do the right song, we've got to have one up-tempo song in the front end and then we're going to go into worship for about 25 minutes and if we hit it just right, the presence of God is going to come and then he'll heal you. And then revival is going to come. And then liquid glory is going to fall from heaven and we're all going to get slain in the spirit and nothing's ever going to be, you know, it's like we, we come in with this expectation that if we do the right thing the right way for the right amount of time, he's going to come and show up and it's going to be awesome because it's all about us. Right? As a broken man and as a worship leader for 20 years, I've done this so many times. I come into a worship set with this formula in my mind and I sing the right set list and I sing the right songs for the right amount of time but instead of I exist for your pleasure I've kind of twisted it in saying you exist for my pleasure. It's not about you. It's not about us. I don't think the four living creatures are standing before the throne of God right now going holy, holy, holy God, you're beautiful. 
this and powerful now. What's in it for me? The 24 elders aren't bartering with God saying, okay, I'll give you my crown one more time, but then I get a Beyblade. <laughs> okay? The, the unending revelation of who God is is enough for us. There's a reason that those seraphim were singing that song a thousand years before John saw it, when Ezekiel, or when Isaiah saw it. And a thousand years later, they were singing it when John saw it in, in Revelation chapter 4. I believe they're still singing it now. It's not because they have this robotic chip in them that keeps them close. And that, like this electric shot caller that if they get 50 yards away from the throne, they have to come back and sing it again. They're there because they want to be. They're there because he's actually worthy to receive it, not because they have to. They're there because... The revelation of who he is is addicting. And it's not just a feeling. It's who he is. It's not about your money problems. It's not about your broken relationships. It's not about your health. It's not about a number of other needs that you could have. I want to clearly say this to you this morning. God does not owe you anything. And if you never felt him again for the rest of your life, you will. But if you never did, he would still be worthy of your worship. But he shows up because he's kind. <laughs> Melanie said it this morning, where two or three are gathered in your name, he's there in the midst. He's there because he's kind. It's not because he has to show up. He draws near to you because he's gracious to you. Because he likes to be with you. But let us not forget the Revelation 5.13 song, you're worthy. Why? Because you redeemed us to God by your blood. It's all about, Jesus saved you from hell already. <laughs> that is reason enough to give your everything in worship. Not just on a half hour segment on a Sunday morning, but every day. A lifestyle. Worship's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about your problems. Worship is about the value and the worth of Jesus above all other things, even above your problems. And I think, I don't want to neglect, because when I was preparing this message for you guys this morning, I felt like the Lord said, I, I don't want to rebuke. I just want to exhort. And I, I don't want to take away from the, the human dynamic of our role in the place of worship. Because it's very real. And we do have real needs. And God does desire to meet those needs for you. Um, but this passage in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read it. Um, Matthew 6 verse 25. Um, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the greatest messages ever told. The greatest message ever told. We come in to worship with our worries. And our doubts. And our failures. And our fears. And with the expectation that we're going to get healed in that, you know, and the Lord very well may heal you. <laughs> but I want to call us higher as a church this morning. I want to call us higher to a place of regardless of what we're going through and regardless of the trial or the circumstance that we're in, let not our worship be dictated by that. 
Matthew 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He said, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry. Therefore, do not worry. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom. We all know this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else that you need will be added to you. He's got you. He's got you. You don't need to come into a worship set worried because of your circumstance. And I get that life gets down. <laughs> I get that we have real days. And I get that our emotions can get the best of us sometimes. And we're never going to do it perfectly. I understand that completely. I've been there. I understand it. I feel you. But if we, if we actually posture our hearts to seek first the kingdom, I have written proof that I'm going to be taken care of. All of these things that you need will be added unto you. God helps you with your problems not because you followed a church formula of 30 minutes of worship at the front end of a service on a Sunday morning. He helps you with your problems because he's merciful and he's kind. It's not because he owes it to you. It's because he loves you. If he never healed your body or provided more money for you or restored your relationship or met any of your needs, he would still be just as worthy of your worship. His worth is not dependent on your circumstance. I'm just ask the team to come back up. I believe it's time that we actually set our hearts to reach up because he's worthy of your reach. I think it's time that we give Jesus back the first place in our hearts again without strings attached without coming into a Sunday morning with a what's in it for me mentality. What's in it for you? <laughs> Eternal salvation. What's in it for you? Proximity to the throne of God. What's in it for you? Deliverance from an eternal eternity of torment and pain and destruction. What's in it for you? In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. Whether you feel it or not in this moment, it's true. What's in it for you? The dignity that he's given you to worship him, to come before him, to call you, uh, the Psalms say, blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach you. You've been caused to approach the very throne of God by the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. Oh, the dignity that you have in the place of worship. The dignity that you have to come and minister to his heart before his throne. Oh, and we can go there now. We can go there. We have access right now. Just close your eyes and look through the eyes of faith. 
Ephesians 1.17, oh, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. I want to leave you with this one passage in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Preeminence. That he may have the preeminence. That he would have the first place in the church. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.